0: Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support, be safe, and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk, and today we're welcoming on uh, an incredible guest, Alex Johnson. Alex is a breed veteran, author, uh, magician, a black belt martial artist, and in, I'm going to go out and say maybe a top five guest so far with the most interesting, complex, very uh, peculiar uh, life so far. And so, Alex, uh, thank you for jumping on here.
1: Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me on, uh, on your show. Like I was saying before we started rolling here, usually I'm the, on the other end doing the interview, so this is actually my first uh, podcast. Where I'm not the one asking the questions, so thank you.
0: No, all good, man. It's it's funny because on the, before we kind of jump into this, I've always I think you re, I think you sent me a message or we just we kind of connected on social media, and so I've always been very interested in obviously as you posted through the pandemic, whether it's the veteran stuff, um, it, obviously a lot of the magic stuff, which piqued my interest. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago when I actually launched. A, a very limited deck of cards for my store, where no because I'm always very kind of like, man, I never have a deck of cards. And I launched it; it's been great. Like I only did a hundred of them, and it's the the cards themselves are very cool because obviously my friends and I, if you do drinking games or you want to play solitaire with your aunt and uncle and stuff like that. And then literally the day after you post something about your uh, stuff you got coming up with the Kickstarter and the cards and the magic stuff.
1: Ooh. I'm sorry, someone's knocking on my door.
0: Uh so, you're not
1: expecting it, it's gonna happen, right?
0: Yeah, no, of course. Um and so literally the day after I launched mine, I see your post. I'm like, man, I can't believe I've never asked Alex to be on the podcast. Uh, not just with the the veteran stuff and the the magic, but you just have this really cool persona and I think it's beneficial for everyone out there to kind of uh get to know you. Hopefully after this episode, ever, people will kind of reach out to you and get to learn to understand you a little bit more better. And uh, But again, thank you so much for being on here.
1: I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me.
0: And so to kind of jump into this, now I know the magic is, for me, I'm just kind of blown away because I don't understand it. I grew up watching the Pet Dragons and Pen and & Teller and reading all the Houdini books, all that stuff. But before you get, we get to the magic part, you served in the Marine Corps. And th- again, thank you for your service. And the interesting for me is like, I'm always curious why people joined the military. Is this a, was this a family tradition? Uh, Was this something where uh, your friends were doing it? Like, why did you kind of initially jump into the Marine Corps?
1: Well, um, I grew up with a family of, you know, veterans. My grandfather, he was in the Air Force in the Korean War. And, um, you know, his brother, so my great uncle, he was in the Army. And my uncle, he was in the Marine Corps. So I grew up as a kid, you know, playing army man, you know, with my cousins and everything, running around with BB guns, shooting at each other. And one thing led to another. I was 18, uh, getting ready to graduate high school. Didn't think I would be able to make it in college. Wasn't disciplined enough. Barely made it through high school. Uh, Even though I made good grades and everything, but I knew I wouldn't, you know, be able to go straight to college. And so I just I just took a leap of faith, and I wanted to you know join the best branch, as far as uh, what the perception was, and so I enlisted into the Marine Corps at 18. Graduated high school three days later, I was in boot camp at Paris Island, and I keep getting notifications. What the hell? All right, sorry, it's
0: man. one of those things where I was I did law enforcement for a long time, or for seven to eight years of my life, and yeah. growing up you play cops and robbers good guys bad guys cowboys india like all this stuff and you with your bb guns right around playing army i always find it very interesting that those people like you and i and obviously countless others that grew up doing that actually jumped into that line of work or dedicate part of their life to that and it is for me it's like so the first day I got my badge and stuff, I'm like, man, I was just a kid running around the woods throwing rocks at my friends who were robbers or doing fake arrests and stuff. And so as you're in that setting, in actual combat in Iraq, which you have been, is it tough to look back at those memories or are those type of memories kind of keep you alive, and like kind of keep you balanced where, yes, you're dealing with the horrors of war and everything that's going on, the good and the bad serving. Um, that your part of your childhood is still with you at those times.
1: I mean, to be honest, I haven't thought about, you know, that at all until just now when you mentioned it, you know, because uh, I guess I've lost touch with a lot of, you know, my childhood friends. And so I hadn't put a single thought into, you know, any of that until just now, really.
0: Great right on. One of, it, for me, it's just, I'm always it's always like, man, remember? And then you kind of like, because I grew up with a kid that actually ended up on the other side of the law. And so you're kind of like, man, where do we break off where one went good, one went bad? But it's one of those things where it's a very interesting case study, uh, character study of certain people, how they, how they end up joining a different career or live the rest of their life. One of the things for you, as you jump into... Start doing the military life is how did magic play a role? Was this something that came after the military or were you always the type of guy that was into magic in, through the course of your military career?
1: Um, the best way that I can explain how I got into magic was uh, Las Vegas as a kid. It was like 2002 or 2003, um, went to Las Vegas and I went I think it was at Circus Circus or Caesar's Palace or somewhere. And I saw a magician at a magic shop. He had this card and he threw the card and the card went all the way around his body. And as a kid, I was like, how, how? I got to know how this works. And so uh, my grandmother or whoever bought me that, you know, little trick. And that started my interest in magic. And then I've got the cups and balls, you know, that little routine. And uh, so it's something that I've always had in the back of my head, but really, this is going to sound kind of funny, but really what really got me into the world of magic was a video game that was called uh, The Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. Around the same time, 2002, 2003. And I always wanted to play as like a thief, you know, as the stealthy character that would sneak around and pick pockets and whatever. And so I bought a book called, uh, it was How to Pick Pockets for profit and for magic or something like that. And so I started learning how to pick pockets. And then that led to a DVD called Mastering the Art of Pickpocketing by James Coates. And then that went to Mastering the Art of Watch Stealing. But, so you know, 13 years old, 12, 13 years old, I'm stealing people's watches off the wrist. I'm stealing people's belts. And like, no shit actually stole, you know, one of my brother's friends who's, you know, four years older than me. So he's a teenager. And I'm just a young kid and doing, you know, the magic trick where you, you know, it's misdirection where you have them hold a card in their hand or whatever. And in the process of it, you're so confusing their senses, you're overloading it. And I'm having him spin around in a circle and uh, actually stole his belt off of his waist. And I held it up, you know, just like the DVD taught. So uh, <laughs> that's why I started magic. This now video game and Las Vegas. <laughs>
0: As you it, well, the military when you have the time off, the, the you don't really have a time off, but when you have the downtime, is you are you doing this magic and stuff with your buddies, your battalion, your the rest of the troops, like hmm.
1: pretty much. Uh, that was when I was a kid, and then I mean, I would do basic coin vanish things, but I don't really have any uh, memories of magic, you know, as far as in the Marine Corps, because I wasn't uh, actively, you know, pursuing it, you know.
0: Now, when you get out of the military, though, you do pursue it because now here you are launching Kickstarter, you got new products coming. After when you leave the Marine Corps, what was the motivation to get back into magic?
1: Um, I actually wrote a book about it right here, and this kind of uh, tells uh, some of the very weird encounters. You know, it's called The Book of Magic by A.J. Kristoff, which is a play on my name, it's my pen name but more or less that goes into, you know, meeting magicians and it was 2011, something like that. Uh, which is, I don't know how much of this I want to get into necessarily, but short story was I was going to visit the shaman in Nashville of all things. Oh. Yes. I was going to visit the shaman. Cause, uh, oh. I was into like the more esoteric, you know, side of magic. And yep. then on the street of Nashville, chance meeting, I wasn't drunk, nothing like that, just parked my car, going downtown to go to the bars and everything, and I run into a street magician, and this man here, it took me seven years to, you know, track him down on the internet, and find out who he is, because his magic that he did was so real in my mind, that I was like, it has to be real, it has to be real, you know, it has to be real, and uh, so that was 2011, I think, and that's what's Started me actually really seriously wanting to look into card magic because he was doing things that was completely, uh, you know, magic to me, you know, as my perception at the time. So that inspired one thing, and then one thing led to another. And meeting magicians like it's really, really weird how often does somebody meet a magician, right? Well, never. This
0: is the first time I've actually talked to one per se. Now, I've had those weird, awkward encounters, like some of the like Chris Angel backstage in a show or so, but it, it's just that being, they're not that stage persona. And so that's why I'm like, I had to reach out to you. Cause I'm like, I, hopefully you can kind of give some sort of like human aspect to what goes behind the musician. Because I think there's this connotation where it's like, Oh, they're, everyone's David Blaine's David Blaine 24 seven. No, he's a character when he's doing the match. He's not the same guy. So it's kind of interesting to see you here. Just kind of maybe pull back the veil a little bit. Of this, uh, the concept of magic.
1: Yeah, um, speaking on that, kind of funny because uh, one of my previous girlfriends, she's like, "It's always the AJ show. It's always the AJ show." And saying that I'm always trying to entertain and stuff. So for me, I guess I kind of do go into a certain character. But I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's it's just it's a part of who I am. And whether you like that or not, she that's what you know made her be interested in me. Was I was doing magic at a bar in San Diego. This is a super funny story. Now I love the story. And uh, so I ended up winning over the bouncer, right? I was doing magic to him and I made the bouncer become my friend. And then I just had the idea, okay, I'm gonna pretend I'm a bouncer. So I'm standing outside of the bar and there's these two girls coming in and I asked to see her ID. I'm like, let me see your ID, and she just gives me her ID. I'm like looking at that, and she's like, Wait a minute, you don't work here. And she jerked the ID back out of my hand. And I said, If you want to see some magic, I'll come in and show you.
0: That's awesome. It's and I, I don't know if it's one of those things where the growing up, like obviously, the uh freak show with uh Chris Angel, David Blade stuff. Grow like we go through high school and college, like it was always so it was so prevalent. I love the idea that it became mainstream. Is is magic something out there right now that, especially for the last couple of years, I think more people need that type of wonderment, that type of, uh, to kind of take your, because for me, magic always puts me in a happy place. Like I, I get pissed off because I can't figure out how they're doing it. But I love the idea of the wonderment. It always brings out the childhood in me where it's like, I want to learn. I want to understand. I'll watch someone do that koi trick behind the ear or whatever that that, that crazy uncle does for the nephews all the time but i'm like how do you do it it's it's really really cool you are a part of a very small community like that
1: you know how uh, you were telling me that you know you do security for you know shine down and you i'm assuming you're pretty involved in the music scene right
0: yes yes
1: okay so music has the power and the ability to you know make chill bumps come up on your arm whenever you hear something that resonates with you but magic being is I, I say it's the only art form that can really make you question reality itself and what is real it's the only art form as far as i've seen that can really make you question reality music it can make you feel a certain way you can look at a painting on the wall and that like, man that's that's a beautiful piece of art but there's nothing you know in comparison to magic
0: before i get into your book the book of powers which is well above my pay grade, uh, the there's always that subset of magic where it's mentalism versus magic. Whatever. What is? Can you kind of like define what mentalism is under the umbrella of magic? Because is that, for me, it's always like the guy can tell you what number you're going to pick versus the physical idea of moving something. So, what is the difference there?
1: Mentalism is technically like a, you know like a branch of psychology, right? Okay. But the way that I'm I'm not like an expert mentalist or anything, but some of my friends are the best in the world. So I'm not really super qualified to talk on this, but um, mentalism though, they use principles and techniques of the mind to replicate what psychics claim they can do with spiritual, you know, powers or whatever. But mentalists, they always claim that they're not psychic. They claim that what they're doing is just, you know, matters of the mind.
0: Would you... In your life journey and stuff, whether it's Iraq, Ukraine, uh, heading to the learned Orient or Mandarin, uh, all this stuff where it comes to life experiences, every experience you have in your life, does that build upon your uh, your your I don't know how to word this, your kind of mentality with your mindset and because you're very about the idea of expanding one's mind and reaching your full potential. And so these life experiences, as you kind of keep, if you, as you wake up each day and add a new, I do a uh, memory to your, your whatever, is that something that makes you stronger in your field? Or is it something you just kind of take a bit piece of different experiences of life and ups and downs to add to it? Hmm.
1: That's a loaded question. Um, I guess the only way I can really think about it is, um, Everything has built one upon the other, and uh, it's made me stronger. It's made me smarter, made me wiser. But getting back to the Book of Powers thing, that book has been my, I call it my problem child, because uh, I started writing that book on, it was Easter Sunday, um, 2013, or 2013, I think. And then through, uh, it took two years to publish that book. So, yeah, I don't know how to talk about that book. I've never really talked about it.
0: It's, uh, it's one of those things too, where it's, it's a lot of heavy subject matter, but when you look at the meat potatoes of it, it, it makes folks like the, the biggest thing you can pull out of that is that we have to do our best to reach our full potential. And I love the idea of one's struggle to reach that full potential um it's just a very fascinating subject it's it's crazy too because it's like writing a book everyone's like oh write a book write a book write a book and it's like there's so much to it. it's not as easy as you think and i'm not a fearful person i'm willing to jump in head first to tackle something but i'm scared to write a book or i'm scared to put myself out there where people can nitpick and deal with it how did you get the courage um it this always seems weird asking someone who's served and been in combat, but how'd you get the courage to put yourself out there and start writing? Like, it's one of those things too, where it's, it's a very powerful, again, another form of art form that you have kind of thrown yourself into.
1: Um, I just didn't care. And I don't even know where that book came from. Like I, like I said, it was Easter Sunday. I woke up and I was in college at the time going to ETSU in Johnson city um had a little apartment little townhouse type apartment with my best friend and I just woke up and I was like all I knew is I had the name of the book the book of powers and I was like I was a kid you know I was like 24 or something I started writing it maybe younger than that and I just had the name of the book and I obsessed over it the book of powers and just started started writing and started writing it. and it went through many renditions and uh I can't really say that everything in that book I agree with now, right? And I'm not really even saying that I've reached my full potential. If that's even a thing, if someone can even reach their full potential. But it was just a creative art project, more or less. And I had the idea, the book of powers. And I think in the first night I wrote like 10,000 words or something.
0: Just crazy. And When it comes to dealing with like your PTSD and magic, is there a... Does one, does, your, does the idea of magic and doing that type of stuff help your PTSD?
1: I mean, it's my therapy, you know, like sometimes I get anxiety, right? And so I'd always be fidgeting. You know, some people have a fidget spinner. My fidget spinner is a deck of cards. I think in a couple of interviews and things that David Blaine said, like uh, he just more or less said, they feel cool. He, him as a kid, he said it made him feel more like an adult because that's pretty much how he could relate, you know, to adults. As a kid, and be able to fool them, and create that feeling of amazement. But for me, it's uh I would just I get home from work. I worked in construction, and I just sit around drink beer, and I would just play with the cards in my mom and dad's garage.
0: One of the funny things I always see out there, like around Christmas time, especially, is like those learn how to do magic in like Ted easy steps, whatever. Those little booklets that Barnes and Noble puts together if someone wanted to get into magic in like in a real honest way, like try to understand it, just even the most basic principles of it, what's the first step that someone could do? Is it just pick up a deck of cards and just kind of play around with them?
1: I mean, that's a great start, you know, Uh, learn how to shuffle, learn how to shuffle cards. And um, like, there's different, there's people in the magic community that are the stricklers. You have to have a mentor. You've got to read the, you know, original books. Um, I have, I've read a few of the books and everything, but now it's, we live in a different time, right? So you can just go onto YouTube and look it up and I don't necessarily like that, but you know, that's, that's the reality of, you know, the internet age.
0: Uh, So a question I just came up to my head, when you, uh, you, when you go back, go back to Vegas and people that could count cards and all that stuff. Now I know it's obviously frowned upon. But for someone that's trained in the science of shuffling decks and the permutations of what possibilities are and all that stuff like you are, and obviously a lot of your friends are, does that give an unfair advantage to like, how is that? Because I'm always questioning, uh, I I, I don't gamble. I love watching people gamble. I love the science behind it. I love watching people's intuition and how they kind of play against each other. But for someone like you and these other people that are really good with numbers, how does something like Vegas or casinos or people like that kind of mitigate that type of issue that could pop up?
1: Um, I'm not, I didn't really catch that last question because I was no, like, how, like, how,
0: yeah. like, how does Vegas, like, how do they prevent people like yourselves that are not, I'm not saying they're cheating, but people that could discount numbers and know, like based on shuffling and the chances of stuff like that, like how do they kind of mitigate that type of issue from popping up? Say somebody that could figure out that this dealer's making mistakes.
1: Well, um, you're the security guy. So <laughs> I can tell you from my experience, though, um, I was at a casino and uh, I was showing magic there in the casino, right? Because it's, it's frowned upon, but you know, whatever. I wanted to show magic anywhere I go. And the security actually came. I have video of this still on my phone somewhere. But uh, what I was doing was I was showing magic to people, and people were giving me money, they were giving me tips. And I made like three or $400, you know, and a couple of hours in tip money. And I turned right around and was putting that money back on the roulette table. And so the security, they came down and said, hey, we've been watching you uh, more or less knock it off. But I'm like, what's the big deal? You know, people's giving me money and I'm putting it back on the roulette table. But speaking on, um, do magicians have a little bit of an advantage, you know, with any type of card game or uh, specifically roulette? In my book, you know, I wrote about the advantage of uh, knowing cards in roulette. And I wrote a little bit about a technique that I used to, you know, take a $1,000, turn it into $2,000. And uh, it's it's pretty much, it's a guaranteed method to win at roulette, but it comes down to intuition and knowing whenever it's going to hit red or knowing when it's going to hit black. What I attribute that to is I played with cards so much, you know, and it's, but it's more about intuition, right?
0: Now, just for the listeners, um, intuition—is that something that you can increase or get better over time, or is that something you just always had in your body that you just have to trust your intuition? Like, or is that something I can kind of train it to make it to to make my intuition seem bigger?
1: Um, who knows? You know, really, who knows? I feel like what I've did with magic over these years has made me be you know more intuitive but at the same time uh for example i always win playing roulette always win playing roulette always last time i lost two grand last time i lost two grand right and so the way i looked at that was uh this time i bought the experience of not winning at the casino but (laughs) all over all over the united states i've traveled from drove from here to uh Los Angeles, Tennessee to Los Angeles. And every time I drove past a casino, I'd go in and I'd win playing roulette. But where I, the reason I didn't win this last time was because I had a friend, I picked him up and he already had drank like, you know, a fifth, right? And so in the back of my head, I couldn't focus. And I was worried about taking care of him. I was like, man, your ass ain't going to go to jail tonight, you know? So I was more or less babysitting him. And so I wasn't on my game. So can intuition be developed? I believe so. But I, I'm not like a lot of magicians. I believe a little bit of that hocus pocus bullshit, right? So I believe right. in this stuff.
0: What is the one magic trick that you've seen of your life that's, that you're just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like you, even from coming from your point of view where it's like, I've tried to figure out how this person did that.
1: Um, I'm easy to fool when it comes to magic, you know, like, A crazy experience was meeting Peter Turner, who I'm actually wearing his his hat. He gave me this hat in Blackpool in England. But uh, so I went to this magic convention and there's on one of my podcasts. I have him on the show and I briefly talk about this. But so this is in Taiwan. Right. And Pete, you know, he's covered in tattoos, face tattoos and all that stuff. And so um, he needed somebody that could speak English to be part of his show you know, it was a native English speaking person. And so uh, he ended up calling me up on stage and we ended up making friends. And so it was everything he did on the stage show was amazing. Right. And then I wanted to go out. I wanted to go out after it was all over with. And I asked a few people, no one wanted to go, but Peter Turner, thank you. He wanted to go out with me into, you know, out in the city in Taipei. And so he's in the front of the taxi. I'm in the back seat of the taxi. my girlfriend she's back there with me so we're in a taxi there's no way anything could be set up no way anything could be staged and i asked some things and i don't want to go into the full right. routine that he did but i asked how he did it he said it's simple it's like this pick up your phone and so i picked up my phone he says open up your calculator open up my calculator he goes okay start typing in numbers he said start typing numbers so I type in. And he said, now look away and don't look and start typing random numbers. So I look away. and I just start typing random numbers in the back of a taxi. Right. And uh, he goes, well, the, what you typed in was six, two, seven, nine, three, four, seven, two. And he read everything that I typed in consciously. I typed it in consciously. And then I looked away and started typing in random. And he nailed every single thing in the book I've mentioned before. I've learned how I've learned the techniques and the methods behind every single thing that I've wrote about in that book. But that's the one thing that I have no idea, completely fooled, No idea. Is it, it, real? Is it real? You know, who knows?
0: Well, I just got goosebumps listening to it. Cause it's like, I'm always, again, I'm back to the wonderment of that. I love that the power of magic can do that. No matter what age, uh, sex, whatever religion, like magic is so cool. Uh, they can kind of bring people together like that just for you to have that experience too. It's just, it can, it's kind of cool too, because that would pushes you to try and create that same experience for someone else.
1: But given he is the best oh, in the world, in my yeah, opinion, right? Yeah. So he's, uh, he's like, I, I called him the mentalist mentalist. So he doesn't really perform a lot. He does. Uh, he did a lot of workshops. So he would travel and he teaches magicians. And he was a consultant for David Blaine, I believe. And he's been a consultant for a, different tv programs and all that so he's like there's different tiers to magic and the magicians that i see you know on on instagram that are revealing the tricks you know so you got the dopey magicians that you know i'm not gonna look down on anybody right but there's different tiers right there's different levels yeah
0: it's like we get that you didn't really saw that girl in half or the tiger didn't become a a topless model like we get it like we we understand uh so you learned mandarin in the course of your life Mm -hmm. um how does that come to be? Because I find that that's just not something that read someone randomly just picks up and learns. I didn't, e- I
1: didn't even want to do it. I did not want to do it. I felt like it was like a a spiritual <laughs> journey for me because I, I I did, you know, Taekwondo and I have did martial arts, you know, all of my life, more or less. And then I wanted to learn uh, Qigong and Tai Chi and Kung Fu. And I was like, well, in order to really learn these martial arts, you need to learn the hard and the soft. And so that got me to learning about Taoism. And then I was like, well, in order to really understand this, you have to learn the language. That's what my brain was telling me. And I was like, damn, I don't wanna learn Chinese. That's an awful sounding language. I don't like the way it sounds, but my brain is like, no, this is something you have to do. And so I did a private tutor uh, for a year whenever I was still in college. And then from there, um, I progressed pretty good ended up getting, uh, having a Beijing, Beijing accent. And then uh, I was going to move to China and work in uh, Hangzhou or Guangzhou. And at the time, uh, you know, I didn't want to talk to dudes on the internet. Right. And so I was in this group chat, this Facebook group called Let's Speak Chinese. And there's this little Chinese Taiwanese girl I was talking to. And uh, I was talking to her. I was like, hey, I'm going to move to China to teach English. And she's like, don't go to China. I'm like, why? She goes, well, because uh, you should go to Taiwan. And I was like, what the hell is Taiwan? And she's like, well, it's a, you know, democracy and plus I'm here. And I was like, oh, okay. And so uh, she ended up helping me land a job in Taiwan and ended up being with her for several years. A great lady, you know, still, still care about her. And then um, I lived over there for a year and then I split up, went back for another year. So I've, Lived in Taiwan about two years. Private tutor for one year, and I still can't speak Chinese worth a damn.
0: <laughs> to kind of go like the idea of martial arts, like, what was that something growing up that you just did to get ready for, like the what we talked about earlier about before the military, like always doing like that hand to hand combat, all that type of stuff. Like there, like why specifically like Taekwondo or like Kung Fu type stuff?
1: Mm, I was always a nerd, always the weird kid. I wasn't, you know, big into football. My brothers, they played football and everything. But I always liked the weird stuff. And so my grandfather, he uh, took me to Taekwondo and he paid for it. And I just fell in love with it. I guess uh, I broke my arm when I was like 12 or so. And so uh, that kind of scared me away from playing football because I played music too, guitar. And uh, so my way of, you know, being athletic was martial arts.
0: You talked about learning the hard and the soft of it and the idea of a strong mind. I, I think a lot of times you watch like these athletes or these people that are very physically dominating. They're always doing the supplements. They look amazing, but they have a weak mind or whatever. For you to find that balance, um, how important is that for you as you kind of move forward in your life?
1: Um, I mean, I, I believe you should always be balanced. Obviously, uh, you know, martial arts, teacher once said the art of walking is actually the art of always being off balance. Cause whenever you're walking, you're in a constant right. fall. So everything, you know, right here, I've been chugging water. I drank too much last night. So I'm a little bit dehydrated. So to bring balance back into my life, I'm chugging water.
0: Let's, I want to talk about your Kickstarter. you coming out. I want to talk about your web store, um, your new deck of cards, Again, as you get to this level where you're at, the confidence has to be there. Everything has to be out there. The people have to really buy into what you're doing. And so how did that come to be? Like, when did you just realize you need to start designing some of your own gear and tools and stuff like that?
1: Um, I wish I had it prepared, but uh, my logo, if you see my logo, that came from a watch, okay? So I had the idea that I wanted the perfect watch. And uh, I was like, I could pay, you know, a thousand dollars for this watch. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather just make it myself. And so I had the connections, you know, in China and everywhere to have them manufactured. And so the branding logo came from my, my own watch brand. It was called AJ Kristoff, of all things. And uh, so I've always created my own merch, but speaking on the cards, that, that's, a, that's a funny story, man. Uh, somebody wanted me to promo one of their decks. And so they mailed me one of their decks, King of Hearts Playing Card Company. And so they mailed me one of their decks to help promote them. And there I was, you know, took their deck of cards and I just threw it out the window of my truck. (laughs) I mean, anyway. And so then I realized what I did because sometimes I get, you know, PTSD episodes and stuff. I get paranoid, whatever. So it happens. Right. And uh, the reason I didn't, the reason I did it is just because uh, it was a beautiful deck of cards, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. Long story short, they send me another deck of cards and I'm, like, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. I was being crazy. I shouldn't have did that. And I get paranoid again, throw that deck of cards out the window. So two decks of cards, two of the prototype decks are laying on the road somewhere. I don't know where they're at. I don't know. And, uh, I was like, man, I'm crazy. I'm sorry. I was like, how about this? How about you design me a deck of cards? And that's how we have these coming about. It's a funny story, you know, but it's the truth. And so now, uh, so
0: awesome. King of
1: Hearts, they designed them and, uh, Pretty much all I did was gave them some creative input, and and they did the rest. So
0: I love that for some of the sides of magic. Or the only time I pick up a different cards, if you want to play tarats or bullshit or rubby or bullshit poker with your friends, I never really looked at the deck per se, like the actual the type of paper. I would get pissed off with the cards that soak if you get beer on them; they get wet. And you have to throw them out or. You know certain things like that, but what what about a really good deck of cards sets it above a cheap deck where it's like the ones they throw at the, the gas station counter for a dollar?
1: Yeah, uh, the card stock, uh, the quality, like these I've used a lot. They're starting to you know get a little bit dirty, but see the way they, they're not okay. as good as they were because I've used them, but having the air cushion on the top so that way the cards will glide together and they don't clump together, that's a big one. It's hard to do a lot of the, uh, you know, techniques with a card that's just a piece of cardboard. So you kind of think of, you know, high-quality cards as like an air hockey table. There's little bubbles of air under them. Gotcha. And so that's what makes, you know, a good quality card.
0: Now, obviously, you have no problem performing in front of fans or people, the crowd, stuff like that. You also have a new – your podcast, you bring it back again. And you've also – done a lot of stuff with bands interviewing you have back in the day you used to do all that stuff too is that again is a is a is a when you are with other people and talk to other people do, how do your nerves feel in terms of like the ptsd is that something again that helps you kind of deal with the anxiety and stuff like that
1: um like w- once i get in my character once i'm in my zone i can block a lot of that stuff out uh you know if i have PTSD episodes and that type of thing. It's usually when I'm, you know, just sitting here in my apartment alone or somewhere, you know, just like who's that outside, you know, that type of shit. So I, I go out a lot. I try to go out a lot and it's, it's weird because uh, if I'm at a place where I feel like I can control the environment, I'm good. But if I'm in a place where I can't control the environment, I might get anxious and stuff. Like for example, in a restaurant, you know, I don't like going to restaurants, especially with my family and things, just because I'm awkward like that. But in a bar situation, so, uh, I, I can control this place. So I can control this, man. You know, but in a, in a restaurant, you can't really be yourself. You know, you can't really just be uh, you can't just get up and walk around, you know. So I like having to go to places where I can get in and get the hell out.
0: What type of music uh, helps you kind of go through your day to day life? Like, is there certain songs or genre of music that kind of helps you with that situation?
1: You know, um, I mean, this is probably sounds weird, but I don't listen to music.
0: Oh, know? interesting.
1: Yeah, like I have my truck, you know, I have the radio, but uh, like uh, I don't really go out searching for music, and w- which is kind of strange because I, you know, grew up, you know, working in a music store. So I have worked in a music store for four years, right? And uh, I don't listen to music and people say, what's your favorite kind of music? And I would say, well, the music that I play if I do play, but uh, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, Toby Keith, you know, he has some good songs, uh, casting crowns, you know, oh yeah, beautiful yep. music, uh, shine down. Obviously I was listening to them the other day when I sent you that video, yeah. which is an ironic uh, play of events. So uh, I don't know, man. I've just, uh, I've been so exposed to music that, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm over
0: it. What I love about that is the fact that, because a lot of people sometimes ask me, I've seen, every, every, I mean, I've been probably been to a thousands and thousands of concerts, two to 300 a year in, a, in normal right. years. And for me, when people ask me, oh, what do you think of the show? It's like, I don't listen to the music because I'm working. Yes, I'm aware of it's going on, but I find that sometimes I'm my, I'm my best self when I can block out all the noise mm-hmm. from a, actual idea where the actual silence of the what I'm doing and appreciating what I'm, I'm given the ability to do and do it in a, a fun, safe way. And when it comes to magic, again, you could do that in total silence and still get that rush of what you're doing. Um, and I, and it, I just find it very interesting too. Like I'm, I'm actually not surprised you don't listen to music because you come off as someone that like me, that's not very, I, I'll live with it, but I don't need it to, to help myself.
1: Now speaking on magic and music, uh, if I'm editing a video, I have to have the perfect music to fit. You know, if I'm whatever it is that I'm working on, so uh, magic and music go hand in hand. You know, there's some magicians like uh, Shin Lim; his whole performances, oh wow, like you know, on America's Got Talent, was all to yeah. cue with music. Uh, so I, I do love music. Don't get me wrong; I'm not like a Scrooge when it comes to uh, you know hating music. It just I don't actively seek out new music. Cause usually uh, music is sent to me by my friends or whatever. So like, I don't understand how people can just be like, I'm going to look up new music. You know, that's not me. It's like music just comes to me and then it's my own, you know,
0: With your podcast relaunching again, what are some of your goals with that? And how can people kind of find you out about that? Cause I think there are a couple of podcasts out there that have, obviously with mentalists or magician or magicians, but the, I like yours. Cause it's again, going back to like your whole life and these experiences you've had, I think that's what makes you so unique and different per se, not to say these other men and women magicians don't have cool stories or interesting backgrounds, but the idea you're bringing this human, uh, empathy, this, this, this type of world experience to your show, like tell us a little bit about, about that podcast.
1: Um, well, I guess uh, I'm, I have ADHD, and if I get an idea into my head, it's like I, I got to try it. I got to try it, and so uh, I don't even really know how it happened, so to say. But you know, here I am—not the greatest magician in the world, not the best. not I don't claim any of that. But somehow, I'm connected to the best, to the greatest, to the legends, to the people that you know. Most people would, you know, fanboy over just having the opportunity to even speak to. And then I created that podcast with my friend, Dan, uh, Daniel Rivington. We were, I met him in Blackpool in England and Peter Turner actually introduced me to Daniel and we just, we just, you know, hit it off. We became best friends right on site more or less. And then uh, I come back, I was living in San Diego at the time and I, he, he was showing me, he was showing me how to do things on the phone, right? So we were video chatting. And so he started showing me how to do stuff. I'm like, I, how I, How do you screen record? And so I started screen recording him. And I was like, dude, we should do a podcast. We should do this more regularly. And one thing led to another. And so then we started the podcast. But, you know, he's he was always like the, he's the genius. He's the magician that knows everything, right? I don't know nowhere near as much as him. But I always just tried to be, like you said, the human part of it. The guy that's like laid back. It's like whatever I don't know what's going on I'm just the one you know right right. the host I guess you would say but yeah it's like it doesn't matter to me who it is you know I would have David Blaine on the show just talk to people as they are people and not try to hold anybody to a pedestal no one's high no one's low because you know we're all everybody's human everybody's on the same playing field
0: I love that your relationship with Peter Daniel and I think it's so important that their legacy is up here, but now they have to pass it off to someone like you. And then after you get up there, there's someone after you, how important is it you to kind of preserve the legacy of magic and push like keep pushing down through the history, these different techniques and tricks and stuff. And I think there's, it's one of those things too, where I'm always afraid it doesn't have to be magic, but all the stuff from history and like all the tales and all the folklore, like I never want those stories to stop. And I never want, magicians to stop with their tails and stuff like that so how important for you is to keep preserve the idea of magic
1: um well i've never never thought about that excellent question i've never thought about it because uh, kind of the way i look at things is if it's meant to exist it's going to exist I'm getting a phone call sorry if it's meant to exist it's going to exist if it's meant to die and burn out then it's going to die and burn out like a lot of musicians especially you know rock stars they have this idea oh I've got to be the rock star i got to be the greatest I got to be remembered and stuff it's uh the only time I ever thought like that was whenever I was a kid and uh more or less uh my mom would ask me so what do you want to be when you grow up I sure as hell didn't say I want to be a magician all I said was I want to be remembered I want to go down in history and I don't know why I thought that as a kid because I've never really cared but uh I think magic will live on. If I'm meant to be remembered, then I will. If I'm not, then what's it really matter? You know,
0: right? Just again, the whole idea of magic is so fascinating to me. Like, I have a thousand questions in my head that I'll save for another time, maybe off, off the uh, the podcast. But again if people want to reach out to you or find out what you're doing, obviously you're very active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, do you have a website? Do you have anything, a web store going to be launched pretty soon? Like how could people kind of get to reach out to you, maybe pick up some decks and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I I have uh, multiple websites, but, uh, I'm ADHD and I can't make myself sit down to design the stuff. i worked as a web designer, so I I don't have an excuse of why I haven't made these websites yet, but, uh, I, so I have these websites that don't exist yet. Uh, if you, I pretty much exclusively am on Instagram, AJ magician, you know, you probably can give the link or whatever. Yep. Uh, if you Google AJ Kristoff, that will bring me up and who knows what I'll, that'll bring up, but uh, Oh yeah. I want to show you this. So this is uh, some sh- shameless self-promotion, right? So oh, this is uh, mastering the art of magic. Okay. And on the back of it, it's flipped backwards for me, but it says, may your efforts lead you to the top. So this book here, i teach you, anybody that wants to buy this book, I will teach you how to master magic. Okay. And that's a bold claim. It's the boldest claim in the entire world. How can I teach you how to master magic? Well, if you open it up, the entire book is blank because only you can master magic. And so it's a journal you know it's a love it 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 can be like a cool little uh coffee table piece and this one i actually autographed so love it (laughs) yeah so uh mastering the art of magic it's on amazon if you want to master magic or you want to master music no one can give it to you you just got to do it
0: it is it is it is very interesting though that I'm glad you said that because so many times you hear these people, are oh, I'm the best," or "I've I've reached the pinnacle." Those that are still searching for that are always chasing to be better than they were the day before. Those are the people I gravitate towards. And it's really cool that you actually are the you you are the same defender of that in terms of if someone says they're the best, you, if they have to tell you they're the best, they're probably not. But um, I love the idea that you you put it on the person you're helping to learn to understand the craft of magic. That's it's really cool.
1: I appreciate that. Man, a lot of times, you know, people, kids, whatever, from all over the world will message me and they'll say, can you teach me magic? Can you teach me magic? And I'll be like, I can't teach you magic. You know, I can point you in the right direction. And so an interesting thing that uh, I remember was a kid. I'm assuming kid. I don't know. I don't know how the person was, but they messaged me and was asking me to help them learn magic. And I was like, "Okay, well, if you want to get started, go learn this, learn how to shuffle learn how to do whatever it was I told him to do. And I forgot about it. Right. And then a month, two months later, he comes back and shows me his progress and stuff. I'm like, wow, man, that is so cool because I've told people to do stuff like that before and they just want it handed to them. So I I think it's kind of like instant gratification. Uh, People just want maybe the, uh, the acknowledgement of, you know, being acknowledged and they don't really Want to go through with it, but I I appreciate the people that actually do make the effort to learn because I guess that was kind of how you know I was taught.
0: Right. I love the idea of just a trial and error too. Like there must be so many tricks you've you've got to be really well good at that you probably spent countless hours, weeks, months just trying to. And I love the idea of in order to be to pull off a really good trick or whatever, you the the amount of time to practice to make it so believable. That's, what's really cool for me. I'm just blown away that somebody could dedicate that much of their life to a specific movement or sleight of hand or a trick that it will just make me give goosebumps every time. I, I love that idea of it.
1: People often ask me like, how many magic tricks do you know? And I'm like, I don't know. The better question would be, how many have I learned and completely forgot about? <laughs> so it's like most magicians, they have a few things that they do. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. I've, I've many people have told me this before, but uh, I'm gonna keep getting phone calls. But um, they say, "How many tricks do you know? You know, you can learn thousands or whatever. But really, to make it as a magician, you only have to know like three or four, maybe five tricks. If you're gonna, you know, be performing table to table or in weddings or whatever, you have a small group of people, right? And you go through maybe four or five solid, perfect tricks." And then, you know, five to 10 minutes there, and then you move on to the next table. So then you do the same thing, repeat it over. So I find myself doing a similar, you know, routine every time. But uh, here recently, I'm wanting to take it to the next level, right? And that's what I think it's all about. You could stay on one spot, you know, if you're playing music, which I'm guilty of myself playing the same, you know, four or five chords, and just variations of that. But to make it to the next level, you have to make progress. You have to move up. And so that's what I'm trying to challenge myself with today.
0: And I love that. I think you're going to get there. And I will be a champion of everything you do because I think you have a very unique story that you're still writing. And uh I can't thank you enough for jumping on here, AJ. Hey,
1: man. Thank you so much.
0: Uh We'll talk soon and then uh, be safe. And then once again, thank you for jumping on here.
1: All right, John. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Tyson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue the podcast. We focus
1: on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.
0: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.